Hello, and welcome to the Coral Catalog Podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. I hope that through this podcast, you can find choral repertoire that works for your high school and or middle school choruses. This is episode 13, and I'll be talking to Robert T. Gibson about his arrangement of This Little Light of Mine, which is available for SSA and two-part. Houston native Robert T. Gibson is a conductor, educator, and clinician who desires to develop future music educators for the next generation. He has held middle school, high school, and collegiate positions, and has also served as a guest clinician in several states throughout the country. Robert currently resides in Springfield, Missouri, where he is the director of choirs at Reed Academy, as well as an adjunct professor at Missouri State University. Gibson received a Bachelor of Music Education degree from the University of North Texas and a Master's of Music at Missouri State University. He is a proud member of Phi Mu Alpha Symphonia and Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity. Robert's choral arrangements can be found with Walton Music and Alfred Publications. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Robert T. Gibson about This Little Light of Mine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Choral Catalog. My name is Matthew Van Dyke. I am your host. Today, we are joined by Robert T. Gibson. He's the choir director at Reed Academy, and he also teaches gospel choir at uh, uh, Missouri State University. He is the composer of This Little Light of Mine, an arrangement of This Little Light of Mine. So welcome, Robert. How are you tonight? I am doing very well. Thank you, Matthew, for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to talk about your piece um, and uh, and to let our listeners get to know a little bit about you and the music that you've uh, that you've arranged. So before that, we jump into talking about this little light of mine, uh, I'm going to take you down kind of a, a, a weird rabbit hole in another direction um, just to get to know you as a person a little bit. So I'm going to ask you just a couple of would you rather questions. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's go. All right. So the first one that I have for you is would you rather lounge by the pool? or would you rather lounge by the beach? Ooh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pool guy. I probably won't get in the pool, but I will definitely lounge by the pool. So yeah, yeah that's great. That's awesome. I asked that question because some people are are not sand people. <laughs> they don't. You know, I'm not sand people and I'm and, and I have a lot of time in my hair. So yeah, we're not gonna do anything. <laughs> we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna just we're gonna watch the pool, but we won't yeah. get in there. <laughs> I love that. All right. Would you next one, would you rather give up AC and heating for the rest of your life or the internet? Oh, these are tricky questions. Um uh oh I Ah, you can't give up AC and heating, you know, but I think because of the way the internet goes, it would be very, it would be very hard. Like, you know, it's funny growing up, we didn't have internet, you know, like we had to mail letters and, and not worry about those things. And now all of a sudden, if, if, if Instagram goes down, like we lose our minds, you know? So I would have to, I would have to give up um, the internet because I can't go without AC and heating. It would just be really hard. I, I love it. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. You talked about that, you know, as before we started our interview, we, we talked about how old we both were. And, uh, yeah. and, <laughs> and, you know, I remember my flip phone. I remember yes. you know having to pay for each and every individual text message. You know, I, you know, we also, we also joke about in our age that, you know, when you, you had that internet button on the phone and if you press the internet button, you had to like, you know, crazy, you know, quit that button because you didn't get charged to go on the internet or anything because like it cost, you know, that's right. We, that's know. right. Uh, that's funny. And now we can't live without that, you know, so it's, it's funny. It's so funny. <laughs> All right. And last one for you. Uh, would you rather be an extra in an Oscar winning movie or the lead in a box office bomb? Oh, make me extra. I think I think my personality would be great in the background, but don't don't bomb me because then nobody will buy my stuff anymore. So yeah, go ahead and go ahead and put me in the background and, and just let me be great in the back. I'll take I love it. I love it. Great. <laughs> I'm in the same way. Just put me in the back and make me a part of things. Exactly. Uh, all right. So let's um let's pivot a little bit and uh this these these next two questions are really about your um musical um kind of uh, preference and whatnot uh, and and your history, I guess. So who is another choral composer that you are influenced by in some way? You know, Rollo Dilworth has been probably my greatest influence. Um, in 2007, I was actually a part of the ACDA Multicultural Ensemble Choir in Miami. And that was my first time actually seeing a black conductor. So I had an elementary black teacher, I had a high school black teacher, um, but I had never seen a conductor who was black in that capacity. And so 
I remember just always loving seeing what he did. And I can't think of one Rollo Dilworth piece that just doesn't work. You know, they're all in their own way amazing. And so Rollo Dilworth is definitely my, my go-to person um, when I talk about conducting and when I talk about call arranging because he, he just embodies it all. Yeah, that's excellent. I love it. I love it. I hope one day that we can get him on 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 the show, because uh, I mean, and it's hard. I think you know, and in, in my stance from the host, it's hard to pick one, you know, and uh, and just go with that. There's so many that I would choose from him. Um, so that's excellent. That's awesome. All right, yeah, here's the last one before we start talking about your uh, composition of this little light of mine. Um, mm. What is one piece of music that or choral music that you cannot live without? What's your desert island piece of choral music? You know, um, it's hard to pick one because I, like I said, uh, Rollo Dilworth and I'm a big Moses Hogan fan. I'm a big Victor Johnson fan. Um, Susan Labar, who is a, a Missouri composer, she has some great stuff. Uh, if I had to go with one piece, the piece that I just love to death with all my heart would be Moses Hogan's, um, ironically, Moses Hogan's This Will Light of Mine. Um, because um, and it's funny, we're talking about this piece. That is one of the pieces that I, one of the composers I listen to a lot. And so that piece just, it just does some stuff. It's the, the chords he uses and the solos. And I heard many variations of the solo and um, like the jazz harmonies, like Moses Hogan has always been that, that guy for me. So yeah, Moses Hogan's This Light of Mine would actually be my piece that I could just listen to on repeat forever. It's, it's an amazing, amazing piece. That's one. I have, I have a whole list of more but if i had to pick one right now that would be one of them but. i love it i love it yeah i am a, i am a sucker for that tenor line being a tenor that that chromatic da -dee -da -da. I, I i absolutely love love that line uh, so anytime anytime that's in the folder <laughs> i'm i'm so happy <laughs> yeah you know and you know what's funny my my high school teacher rob seibel told me i was going to be a tenor one day so I will never tell him that I'm a tenor, but he he will probably hear this and be like, I told you. So <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good one. It's a good one. I love it. All right. If it's all right with you, let's pivot and let's talk about your arrangement of This Little Light of Mine. And now a recording of This Little Light of Mine by Robert T. Gibson, performed by the Springfield Multicultural Ensemble, conducted by Robert T. Gibson.
so um so robert when was this arrangement written and was this a commission how um how did this come to be why, why did you write this sure so i'm going to back up just a just one or two steps so we can get the context behind why i wrote it so when I got to uh, the university, I'm sorry, Missouri State University in 2015, I started my master's and I took a choral arranging class. And in that class, we had to do various projects of different tunes that we liked. So because I knew the tune, which is, is why I picked it. So it actually started off as a two-part arrangement, um, just teaching us how to write in different styles and, and different textures and all that good stuff. And that's how it started off. And Eventually, I, because I love the tune so much, I turned it into a piece and I had to learn how to write the three part with that. Um, and that's how I started. I did, a, I did a concert of like all of my works uh, towards the end of my graduation, May of 17. And this was one of the works I did on that concert. And um, my publisher, Susan Labar, was actually in the audience. And she was the one who actually um, suggested that I submit it for publication. Because at that time, I was just writing stuff just to write it. It wasn't because I was trying to get published. I was just doing it for fun. And then it turned into publication, which now is probably one of my top selling pieces right now, which I think is great. So it started off as a, a class project that turned into something else. And then when it got published a year later, um, it went from SSA. Then I had to write it for two part, which is how it started originally. So I think that was really cool to for it to go from three part back to two part. And I think I have more understanding of how to write for two part and how to write for three part because it's it's really big and it's really different when you write for two different styles or do two different voices. Like you have to know how to make it layer perfectly. So, so that's kind of the context of, of that piece and why it got started and where it is today. Yeah, that's great. So when you did, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, especially because the, the three-part arrangement came first into publication and, and, right. and this two-part arrangement is, is fairly new to at least the Walton catalog, correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So when you had to go back essentially and write for two-part, did you, did you have to, how much of the original, you know, uh, the alpha arrangement, did you change in, in the, in the C or if the, in the two-part arrangement? Sure. I think, like I said, I think the, the more, that I understood how to write for voices, you know, um, and not change too much. I was able to go, okay, this works for two part because you you wanted to have the most important information. Uh, so, for example, um, the second section is the everywhere I go section. That is where um, a lot of the the changes happen in the um, in the song. And so I had to decide what's the most important part right now that I can give to the singer without it taking away from the style and it not being kind of just basic. Uh oh, mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of where that started at. Um, I don't say I wouldn't say it was difficult. I wouldn't say it was difficult. I will say that it was it was different because it's like I don't want I don't want to take anything away. I want to keep it. But I have to understand, you know, there are some schools that can't sing three part, you know, and so I had to have the mindset of there are some schools that need to have a a smaller way of doing this. And so I, I'm glad I had the mindset and understanding of how to do that. Yeah, excellent. Awesome. Love that. Um, so my next question is what made you set this text? So I guess I'll, I guess I'll kind of, uh, you know, rephrase my question of why did you choose that one for your project? And, you know, and what, what is it about this text, you know, this tune that is so enduring? You know, why do so many people set this text and this tune? Uh, so, you know, why did you choose to, why did, you know, why did you choose to set it? Sure. You know what? I think my answer is very basic. I think I chose it because I like it. I think that as a composer, I think people have to set things that they find attractive and they find beautiful. There was a part of me that used to feel like if I ever became a, a conductor or a doctor and I have to pick pieces that I don't like um, so I can be better than what I am. But I think as a composer, you have to, you're not going to enjoy writing if you're writing something that you don't want to write. And so I chose to pick something that I like, you know, growing up in, in gospel church, black church, that's a song we sung all the time. It's a song I heard all the time, you know, growing up in children's church. And, um, so it's a song that I knew and I was familiar with. And I felt that I could let somebody enjoy how I would sing it. That's kind of how I write a lot of my stuff. 
how would somebody want to experience Robert doing this song? So that's kind of how I base a lot of my arrangements. So um, one of the big sections in the song is the all day and all night. You know, originally that wasn't there. And Susan Labar, she said, we need to make that section more fun. We need to hear your voice. And I remember when she said that, I was like, hmm, how would Robert sing that? And it, that literally came to my mind. It was like, da, 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 da. And she was like, that is going to make that song amazing. And from here on out, that has been probably my favorite part to hear when I hear choirs, because that's that's the section that they want to get to. And, um, you know, the gospel piano that you hear is a, is a big influence of the style. You know, it just works. And so, yeah, I think that it's important to set songs that you like. Um, and I think it'll be a more enjoyable experience, at least for me. That's that's kind of how I I. I put things let's let's make it enjoyable versus torturous <laughs> yeah yeah definitely totally understandable I, th I think i think our our singers like you know think that too and when they're on the other side of the of the classroom or you know when you're when, when they're not on the po you know not being on the podium that they're like i want i want to do stuff that i like too um so i totally right. get that um so my next question before we start diving into kind of the teaching aspect and the nitty-gritty um you've kind of already segued into it um uh but what what makes your arrangement different than so many out there? You know, you talked about the Moses Hogan arrangement. Um, you know, there's uh, the, I, the, another one that floats around is the the uh, the Barnwell arrangement that that mm -hmm. some people sung. So, what makes yours different and um, you know unique? I think the biggest thing. Um, so, the Moses Hogan arrangement is a lot of voice on top of like background vocals you know so you have the soloist singing you have the the uh choir serving as you know the company in the background um and then you have this big big part at the very end i think one thing that makes mine different is when i growing up in church i i love to bring my background into what i do so um the gospel piano is a huge huge um turning point for that song you know so when you hear the boom 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 ba -da -da -dum, ba -da -dum, that kind of already sets up the groove for the song. Um, and I think the singers just get to groove, you know, for two, three and a half minutes, um, which I think is really cool. And um, there's a lot of, so when I, when I consider myself writing songs, I don't consider them to be hard until I hear other singers say, that was that's a little tricky, you know? Um, but I think the syncopation, I think um, the layering of the voices, uh, particularly with the three part, you know, there's a lot of uh, like poly polyphony going on there, which is really cool because, I never considered myself to be like a, a, a true, I know how this is going to work. I've been just experimenting and it just happened to be, you know, really strong. So I think all of those elements of the piano and the different writing and the voicings, um, you know, the, I, I call it the mashup section. So there's one part where at the end you have the let it shine, this little, la, da, da. you just have this mashup of sound. Um, kind of similar to if you were at um, in a gospel church and you did a, a, a three part mashup section where the tenors are singing something, the sopranos are singing something, altos singing something different. And it just really like drives the piece home. And then you bring it back to the end of, you know, this little light or whatever the song is about. And so. So, yeah, I think that's what makes that song special and unique in its own way. And I, I've heard a lot of people say that it's just really fun to sing, you know, because of all those different things. Definitely, definitely. I, I would definitely agree with that. It, like I said, I've, I've programmed this for my uh, my audition treble chorus and uh, and they ate up they ate up the rhythm. They ate up the fact that it was, um, you know, very straightforward and accessible, but yet it was something that they couldn't that wasn't predictable right off the top of the uh, right off the top of the page. So. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely can can agree with all those things that you said and, and understand them being that being that I've just seen it, you know, so, so for so long and past month. Uh, okay. Let's, let's dive a little deeper, um, into this. So, um, I like to ask the next couple of questions as, um, you know, as the teacher who is looking through the multitudes and multitudes of music that is out there. And, uh, and I, and I think of it as where are my students, are and where I need them to get to or what kind of foundational elements they have in their tool belt and what I need to add, what other things I need, I need to add to that tool belt. So what um, in this, in your piece specifically, what musical concepts do you believe that it teaches very well? Um, you know, how, what, if I was going to program this for my students, what, um, what musical concepts, um, you know, are, are going to take them from point A to point B in this piece? Sure. So, I think the first thing is the piece starts off, 
you know, three part small harmony. So it automatically starts with holding your own part, you know, um, and, and balance, I think is a really big thing. And then you have this nice unison line um, with all the singers. And so you get, you go from the balance. Now you have this big unison line that doesn't need to be forced. It just needs to be sung um, in the style of the piece, um, but with a lot of grace and poise, you know, that line wouldn't mean a lot if it was just sung really loud and really strong. It has to have a little bit of sensitivity to it, um, but with conviction, you know? And then um, the next part kind of goes back to, you have these three different ideas. So you have all, um, what is that? Everywhere I go, and now we have the, the bottom two parts are kind of moving and, and moving and, and now having independency and knowing where are you going and how are we going to get to our next note? That's one thing. I, I did this piece with uh, my multicultural group um, a couple of, I believe, last year. And that's one thing that we had, even as college students, it's like, okay, how does my part fit with the other part? You know, so like understanding your part and not just um, singing your part loudly, but figuring out the balance between the other parts. Um, then we got the big gospel section, which is honestly the big time for you get you get to power up and sing at that point, you know? Um, and I have not had the chance just yet to do this at, like as an honor choir or anything like that. But I love teaching this because it's funny. You get all the nice um, balance at the beginning and then we get to the big gospel part. There's no there's no like um, and I'm like, no, you get to sing on this part. Come on. You know, um, especially I think my favorite line of the whole song is the I'm going to let it shine. And if you get like five or six altos who, who can sing those low notes like you have some fun in that. So. Um, you get the big section and then you have the polyphony again, going back and I'm, I'm, I'm saying all these words because I think these are all really important. Um, balancing your part and singing with passion and, and the lines. And um, I believe there's also a lot of dynamic contrast. So going to the key change, crescendo is really big. Then it pulls back right before you get to kind of that mashup section, uh, which again is, is about independence and holding your line while still maintaining balance of the song, which I think is important. Um, so yeah, it teaches a lot of those things and a lot of those things you could say for other pieces, but I think for this piece specifically, it has to also at the end of the day have a lot of passion behind it. Because if you, if you sing this song lifeless, then you won't experience the light. So I think you have to be able to experience um, whatever that means to you. You know, this is not to um, convert anybody or to make anybody feel a certain type of way, but I believe as singers, we have to be storytellers. So we have to exude that light first before we can tell anybody else we have light, you know? Um, so yeah, I think all of those elements are really important to make the piece work to the highest level. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you you really took time to kind of explain section by section of what, you know, of, of how that um, how that benefits the singer and whatnot. I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, I tend to really gravitate towards the pieces that have, they don't necessarily have to have a long aspect of unison, um, but I, I regardless of what level that they are singing at the aspect of them to be able to have the singer to be have a unison line that they can all learn whether it's at the beginning of the of the rehearsal process you know when you start this piece um or you know just the fact that they can glob onto something and sing together um i i really definitely. enjoy pieces like that and uh and and this one definitely has that um i like that the melody is first introduced unison so they get that they get the mm. sense of this is what it is before it starts being kind of um you know passed around a little bit in the other in the other sections sure, um, sure. And, and just and for a go ahead go ahead i was gonna say you know and the last time i did this um I actually added some more instrumentation. So I had like a lead guitar, do some, some riffs. And then I had, um, so for that, act, that opening solo line, I actually, um, not solo line, for the actual melody of the song, I actually had a soloist do it the last time. So, you know, there's a lot of room for interpretation um, because in gospel music, you know, we, as I teach my gospel choir, things change all the time. You know, the conductor um, is, is led by the spirit. And so we, we do whatever, we feel is needed at that moment. And so um, I actually had a soloist do it the first time. And I've also heard choirs do it with like amazing dynamics at the beginning, you know, and it's, and it's just, uh, that piece can just go so many places depending on your choir and what they're willing to, you know, give to the piece. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, just as a one more little um, advantage to this piece, so much of this arrangement and is, is, um, is tonal and diatonic. Mm -hmm. So if you're, uh, you know, for you listeners out there that might be, um, 
you know, just starting to dip your feet into solfege or literacy or, you know, uh, getting your students off of echoing the piano. This is a great piece to be able to do that because so many of these lines are scalar and they're and they're diatonic and they're um, and they're. Uh, what's the word i'm looking for they're so gratifying to sing it has it has you know antecedent and consequent built into it um you know the melody itself but even in robert's harmonies and all those that that it's so gratifying um it, and and encourages those students that there's a point to the solfege or there's a point to the numbers or whatnot and uh and helps these students so that's just one more added thing that i just wanted to touch on with that um because my students um you know i'm a big solfeger and uh, and in the beginning of the year, you know, getting them, especially after the year that we've had for some people that we've been so disconnected, getting them back into what a rehearsal feels like and whatnot and using Solfege to your advantage. This is a great piece to be able to do that. So so give it a look and get and uh, and try it in that way. Um, I hope you don't mind that I kind of took that <laughs> and ran with it a little bit. Uh, I love it. I was going to piggyback and say, you know, what? I'm a, I'm a huge Solfege as well. I actually have a session called Soulful Solfege. And so a lot of a lot of things that I do in my classes, I I love to teach solfege so they can understand what it does. And yeah, so yeah, a lot of these lines are uh, very attainable. And um, even if you took that beginning line and just use that for solfege, you know, um, just to strengthen your, your, your choir, I think it's a great thing. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Robert, in the times that you have taught this piece um, in your various ensembles, um, and most of these questions, I, I should just put a disclaimer out there um, that every choir is different. We know that every ensemble right. that we get up in front of has a different ability level um, or literacy level or background or um, you know, uh, history of what they've normally been singing. So every, uh, you know, there's a disclaimer in most of these questions, but um, in, in the ensembles that you've taught and you've when you've programmed this piece, where, where do you start with this? What's the first thing that you teach your students? Um, you know, what, what part do you start with? What hooks them? Sure, so the last time I did this, I'll speak on this last time, it was the uh, multicultural ensemble. Um, it was actually only 10 singers, um, just 10 soprano, alto tenor, um, some really strong college, college women and from the beginning, I think what honestly hooks people is the piano part. You know, I, I start off by playing the piano part and we just sing that opening page um, a couple of times. And then I do what's called popcorn. Basically, I, I call on somebody and they sing that opening line um, by themselves. And so we, for the first maybe rehearsal or two, we just sung the first page and then the, the, the melody. We sing it as a group. We sing it as other people. I kind of give them a chance to express how they would sing it. Um, because I think music is all about expression. It's not about it should be sung this way, this um, all the time. You know, I, I love for my music to have flexibility and for it to not just be square, but I want it to have passion and soul behind it. And I think doing that um, allows singers to have a voice and not to feel like, okay, this is just, you know, rhythms and, and notes and not like this is a message I am sending out. So, yeah, so the first thing I do is I, I'll play the piano, you know, might mess up a little bit. Huh, you know, and I get the singer to say, hey, let's sing. From the beginning, I do start off very rhythmic. So because you, you, all the parts start off on, a, on the, the end of the beat. So mm, let it shine, mm, let it shine. Um, also, if, if a choir is having struggles, like I'll start off by chanting it. Let's chant the opening page. Let it shine, let it shine, you know, just so they can understand the rhythmic attitude of the piece. Because I think that the song has a, has a little bit of attitude into it which makes it great, you know, especially that, that gospel section all day and all night. Um, but yeah, that's how I started. And then once we get into rehearsal, I kind of break down the piece. Like I said, as a composer, sometimes I don't think I write anything hard. Like everything I do is, is simple and easy and it's all good, you know, but there, there are some parts where I'm like, you know what, that part is really tricky for a singer. Let me figure out how to break that down. Um, and over time, I've been able to figure out, okay, this section right here is tricky, even though it echoes or even though there's a different harmony, it needs to be understood. So I do a lot of pairing. So it might be just soprano, soprano ones and soprano twos. Um, then it might be just soprano twos and altos, you know, just figuring out what each part does um, differently so we can put it together and make it work. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you talked about those pairings. And, and you know, there's so much of this piece that the, the rhythmic idea is similar between the parts. So you can almost 
kill three birds with one stone and especially right. in that beginning that you talked about you know that if you can speak it as uh let it shine uh let it that that's every single one and it's just and then you know uh, uh you just use your soul fish and then <laughs> and then right. uh you know or or you or, or you you know give them that first part and but that first that first page and and really even the first i think feel like first two pages if you were to teach that by rote on the first day of class you probably could have them singing it you know, right, right yeah. off the bat. And that makes them feel super successful. And I think the, the main goal of that first day is what can I do in this piece that's going to make them feel successful? Not that's going to make, you know, the most sense, maybe, you know, you might not start at the beginning, but, but what's going to make them feel successful. And I, I agree that those first two pages are really the, are, are the, are the bait that, that, that works. So thank you very, very much. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, this kind of goes along with the last, last question. But in the various times that you've taught this piece, um, what are, you know, uh, our choirs, like I said, disclaimer again, every choir is different, but there are certain parts that maybe um, uh, choirs tend to pitfall in more than often, um, you know, sure. that maybe every choir gets to this part and then they're like, oh, I didn't expect that or whatnot. So what are some tips and tricks that you've picked up um, throughout your time teaching this piece to the various ensembles that you've conducted? Sure. There was a word you used earlier that I, I appreciate, and I've also known how to use it. So you said the piece is unpredictable, which I think is fantastic because I never want people to do a piece and then it becomes like, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I like people to go, oh, my gosh, that was unexpected. But in saying that, there are some parts um, that it's so unexpected that people kind of just go off the rails. So one of those sections would be um, this right when we have the, the the polyphony so the everywhere i go um i'm gonna i'm gonna let it shine everywhere everywhere i go the harmonies start to get a little tricky and i think that's a part that i go straight to chanting and speaking before i get to singing just so singers can be more comfortable I, i'm a you know philosophy is if you can chant it then you can sing it but if we try to go straight to singing it and it's not working it's probably because we're having issues with the rhythm so i'll go straight to rhythm right there um, and, you know, making sure they have the rhythmic um, in, um, intensity it needs so we can go to singing. Um, the next part that I've learned is really, really tricky is uh, there's a round all through the, through the, that part, as much as I love it, gets really tricky for the singer because you're about to key change. And so I've learned, okay, same thing. We, let's speak this or let's solfege it, depending on how far we are. Um, in our solfege understanding, let's solfege it and let's get them to know what's happening. Because even my college singers um, had issues with that, not knowing how this works or, oh, there's an accidental that's coming up. We need to figure out how this works. So um, those are the two big sections, I believe. Um, honestly, the, the last section with the um, sopranos and uh, everyone singing the, um, this little let it shine. That kind of fixes itself, but it does need to have like make sure we know who's coming up where and who sings what and how the balance works. That's a big thing as well. Yeah, I, yeah, ex I, I love all of those things that you touched on. Um, listeners, for those of you that are kind of, if you choose to look at a score um, while you listen to this episode or when you go back and whatnot, um, I would direct your attention. Robert was talking about the key change and whatnot. Um, there is, uh, and this might seem like a minute little thing, but it threw me a little bit um, because I because I was too predictable thinking that each line was so similar that at the bottom of page nine, and again, I'm looking at the three-part version, the SSA version, um, but uh, there's the alto line at measure 56. Um, all of them do this all through the night, and then I'm gonna let it shine. But the altos have a repeated note on the word let, which has not happened in the rest of the piece. So be careful about that because that is so important in order to get the right note for the key change for the altos. So, uh, so just be aware of that. Um, that's a that's an I think that I think Robert can attest that that's an unpredictable thing that um, that you need to be aware of. <laughs> Definitely. What's What's funny is um, in my class for choral arranging. We we worked on how to key change. That was like my biggest thing. Like, how can I key change well? Um, and I was grateful that I was able to do that. I have to remember that everyone hasn't taken a choral arranging class, so I have to remember like that might be fun for me. But some people they need to know like, okay, that's coming up very soon. So yes, um, I think that's important. And then going from that, and then there's a big explosion when we get to the new key because it's it's you know it's it's um, 
everyone's singing the same thing, but in three different parts, you know? Um, but I think once you master it, it's to me the most glorious section of the piece, you know, it just builds up to something wonderful, you know? Yeah. And just, and if there's one tiny little thing in that key change that if I can just give a personal love and, and again, like I say, I'm a sucker for unison when, especially when it comes from big harmony to unison and then back again to big harmony in the new key, there's, you know, three-part harmony, big, huge forte, you know, wonderful voicing. And then you get this on the word children, you get this unison unpredictable i feel like that you know yeah and th and i and that unpredictability the fact that you go from this big and you expect kind of to stay in harmony and whatnot to get into unison and then out again is just so kind of like you know your attention comes back if if it waned for a sec your attention comes back and i i think that's just so great so thank you thank you for adding that little the that little you know ism in there that that it's i think is so great yeah, I think I think it brings the singer together, you know, for those little moments, because you're right, there's there's not been a lot of time of, of unison since the beginning. So now we have, you know, that that one little line where everyone gets to sing the exact same thing. And then, then it goes back to craziness. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Um, this is the last question that I have for you about your arrangement. And then I'll kind sure. of, we'll kind of wrap up and, and talk about the future a little bit for you. Sure. Um, so, uh, and this is, you know, I, I've asked, uh, you know, an, a, a definite uh, impossible question with the, what's your favorite piece of choral music ever, that kind of thing. So I know that they are hard questions, um, but what's your favorite thing about this piece? Uh, there, musically, I think I've kind of talked about all the musical elements of it. I think the piece, uh, the, the thing that I love about this piece the most is when I get to watch the singer um, embody what it means, you know? And a lot of times when I get to tell, talk about this piece, I don't come from the philosophy of, let's just be happy, you know? Because there's a lot of darkness in the world. I think it's important to understand that we all have a light and we have to shine it. And so I can bring that into how we approach it. So if we're you know, if we're singing the opening line, like we have to sing that with light that's already inside of us, you know? So it's more of a, a philosophical and spiritual type of uh, approach, you know? And again, not, not a conversion type thing, but more of a, let's sing this with joy. And I think that has always challenged the singer of when I, when I sing this piece, I have to approach it with joy. I have to approach it with love. I have to approach it with light um, instead of just approaching it with notes and rhythms because then it takes away the entire song. Um, and I think, that, honestly, that's my that's the biggest aspect that I love about this piece is you either sing it with light and it comes to life or it doesn't and it drags, you know, um, and all the recordings that I've seen online have been just so full of light. And I think that spreads a message of, you know, all music needs to be sung at this level of, of light, you know, not just sing it happy, sing it with tall vowels, but sing it and inside let's fill ourselves up with light because I believe when someone in the audience hears this piece um, and they may not have light right now, maybe they need to see someone else's, we get to be that light for them that will hopefully turn their light back on. So I think, I think that's the biggest part of this piece that I love, love seeing the light. There was, there's one story I wanna share. Uh, one of the singers in that group um, was just going through a really tough time. Um, and I would say maybe for about a semester, just really wasn't having a great experience musically. And I remember um, when we sang this piece, you know, um, at our very last concert, I mean, we just saw a total transformation, you know, so knowing that music can transform somebody's life. I'm not talking about can transform your music career. I'm talking about can literally transform. Do I want to live or not? That's that's huge, you know, and so we can talk we can talk about all the musical aspects. But I think at the end of the day, I want music and I want my music to always bring forth light inside of us so that we can give it to somebody else. That's so inspirational. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. No I think problem. especially during this time of, you know, we are, I think, regardless of how you feel about the pandemic situation, we're all in a very different spot than we were, we could say, you know, two years ago and whatnot. And, uh, and so I think mentally we need, we need those things that keep us going and find, um, you know, and like you said, find the light that might just be hidden somewhere and whatnot. And, and, you know, this, the text of this piece is 
it craves that, you know, I'm, I'm going to let it shine regardless of, you know, what it's, it just speaks so much of endurance and it speaks so much of positivity and whatnot. So I, I think this, this text and this tune is so relevant right now. And even though it's been around for so long and, and, but it's just so relevant and, uh, and listeners, I hope that you can think about as you program your piece, uh, you program your concerts, regardless if it's themed or not, the fact that this is such a relevant text for our students and our singers and, and our humans at this, as it's at this point in time. Um, so I thank you so much for sharing that, Robert. I, I appreciate that. And, and hearing that story as well. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for letting me share that. Absolutely. All right, Robert. So um, as we kind of wrap up, I just have a couple more questions that are really kind of are about you and the future. Um, uh, I, I hope that, uh, you know, before we get into that, I hope that listeners at home that you really kind of take a look at this piece, um, it, especially, you know, as as Robert said, we kind of grew up with the Moses Hogan or, or, or whatnot, that this is such a phenomenal piece that is open for your treble singers you know the moses hogan is is a dense one and uh and even though there is an ssaa arrangement of that moses hogan one um you know i i have my own uh qualms and quarrels about ssa satb arrangements that have become ssaa arrangements and they become there's an aspect to it i think sometimes that all of the all the pitches become more cacophonous because there's not the amount of octave range between it but that's a that's that's a conversation for another day but but this is uh but this is a phenomenal piece that is rhythmic and exciting and uh and is attainable and yet unpredictable as we've been talking about so please go do your homework and uh and look for look at this piece um so robert what on in your horizon, you know, this school year or coming up, are there any exciting projects that are um, that are on the horizon for you? Are you um, are you writing anything new that we need to know about going forward? Um, are there any concerts that you're programming this this year or whatnot that you're excited about? So what's on the horizon for you? Sure. And I just want to say again, Matthew, thank you for having me for this. This has been a, a great thing to talk about and to just ex- ex- explore different things that I haven't um, been able to share with many people in a, in a long time. So thank you for that. Um, Absolutely. So this year, um, being at Reed Academy, um, I get the, the esteemed honor of taking them back to uh, MMEA, which is the music, music uh, Missouri Music Education Association Conference this year in January. Um, and you'll be the first, not, first person I share this with. There'll be a couple of new arrangements of mine that I'll be sharing on that concert. Um, I have decided to write the entire MMEA set for them, um, which is a it's a very scary thing, you know, because normally you you take um, pieces that are out there or new pieces, you know, and I've decided as a composer and as someone who understands their voices and understand where they are to just write their entire set for them. Um, so that's a huge thing. So that's I'm shaking, but I'm, I'm super excited for the the how they're going to achieve those goals musically, because like I said, some of my music, I think is this is so easy, but for middle schoolers, it might be a little bit challenging, but I think it's going to be amazing for them. I bet um, for those kids, uh, not to interrupt you, I bet for those students, they feel so special because mm. all of this music has been written for them. It's not like they are yeah. programming, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know, I can't put myself in the mind of a middle schooler. I'm, I'm very, very, long since then but you know that they kind of know maybe sometimes of of you know this piece has been done before or whatnot or they've seen it in the library or something like that that i bet it's just so exciting for some of them to be like this was written for us you know we are the first people to do this so i got sorry to interrupt I gotta, you i just i just oh, i think no, no. that's so cool i got a chance to share with them um one of the songs i said you know what as a, a composer and you know in middle school i remember not really understanding what a real composer was or, you know, you don't know, especially because you, when you see people every day or if, if my music teacher was, you know, on Broadway, I don't think that would really make sense to me because I didn't know that world, you know, but our kids are way more advanced nowadays with technology and those things. And so I think they have a better understanding what that what that is. Um, when I wrote for so one of my previous works that just got published was It's All Right from the movie Soul. Um, so I got called to do that. And um, I told my kids, I was like, yeah, so um, as a composer, you know, I was called to do this and they were just super like, oh my God, that's my teacher, you know? Um, so yeah, they, I, I believe they do feel a sense of 
a pride knowing like, wow, nobody's ever sung this but us and it's written for us. And I, I take so much joy in, in just seeing them. So I know it's going to be a very emotional time at MMA, um, getting to see them perform that music. Um, and not just because it's mine, but because it is, they they sing it so well. You know, from middle school, seventh grade and eighth grade voices, they, they sing it so well. And so I'm just so thankful for that. Um, I will say with all of my writing, I, I, I have so many things that have sat um, and I call what's called a crock pot. So I, I'm not a cook. My wife is the cook. Um, and if you know anything about crock pots, you know, like sometimes they sit for hours, like, you know, just letting stuff mold and uh, letting stuff melt together so it can be the best thing ever. Um, and so there are a lot of pieces um, that I have been sitting on. Some pieces are for TV, some pieces are SSA, um, because I, I let my experiences of what happened in life shape those different things. There's one song um, that I'm really proud about, um, and I have not got this published just yet. This will be on the MMA set, but it's called Light. Um, and it actually, I started this song um, when I was at Reed, and two incidents happened that allowed me to push it and make it what it is. Um, there was a, a suicide that happened in one of the districts um, by us, um, and it, it kind of propelled me to write the beginning of the song. And then um, a couple of months after that, my cousin um, was was murdered um, and that caused me to write the ending of the song, you know, um, to my cousin, Danielle. And so I. The experiences of life make me write. You know, I'm not a sit down every single day and write four measures to a song. That's kind of not how I write some. I can go months without writing and then I can flush out. I, just, I flushed out a song on Friday for my for my middle school boys, because you have to write for middle school boys because their ranges change every day. You know, um, but my my writing is not, you know, now go. It's it's a when it's here, it's here. You know, so I have so many voice memos on my phone of different ideas or different things that's coming up. But um, I'm excited. You know, I'm with Walton right now and I'm also with Alfred. And um, uh, I have two things with Alfred. One of them is that I'm, I'm sorry, is uh, what is that lovely day that just came out. Um, and then there's it's all right. Um, and it's funny because I had to write it's all right for uh SSA, oh, SATB then I wrote it for two part then I wrote it for SAB and for those who know me SAB is not my strong suit because I, I'm used to singing four part not you know I have my own philosophies about SAB but understanding that there are a lot of schools who may not have tenors or they may not have basses you know so I'm, I'm more understanding now because I come from um as a composer I want to be all, all things to all people not just everyone can sing SATB because if you don't have boys, then you have to sing essay, you know? So I'm glad that I'm able to have that understanding and to be able to write well for them. Because, you know, writing for different styles is not always the easiest thing. You know, it, 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 can, it can sometimes be very tricky. So I'm blessed to have the knowledge and I'm, and I'm constantly learning. But yeah, I think you'll, you'll be, be looking out for more, more music. I would love to send you my website, um, Robert T. Gibson Music. I post a lot of different links on there for where you can purchase music at. Um, and there's some stuff that I'm going to start self-publishing pretty soon. Um, and if people are interested in that, um, they can go to Robert T. Gibson uh, music.weebly.com and it'll be all there for you. Great. Yeah. You, you, you literally segued right into my next question. How can, how can people get in touch with you? So Robert T. Oh, yeah. Robert T. Gibson.com is that Robert T. Gibson.weebly.com. Is that right? So Robert T. Gibson music.weebly.com. I'm, okay. I'm working on getting my own domain. It, websites are crazy now. You know, I'm, 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 Life is going. To, I got a daughter now. You know, I'm married, so I'm, I'm. The last thing on my mind is my website, but it needs to not be because I need people to come and and, and give me a minute. So, um, but yeah, Robert T. Gibson Music Weebly .com, um, and that has all of my like bio information and different things that I've done, um, as well as like some of the the presentations that I've done, like Soulful Soulfish. I do a lot of things with that. I, I'm a big Soulfish learner for my for my middle school. And I just love doing that. But yeah, so if you go to that website and click on, um, it's either like mixed music or men's music or treble music, and you can click on the links and it'll just take you right there for how to purchase those. That's great. Awesome. I, listeners, I encourage you to, to go check out Robert's website. And I, I for one, I'm going to go look at Soulful Soulfish. I, I, I'm excited to, <laughs> I want to see a little bit more about that. Awesome. Um, so, um, so Robert, I just want to, Thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with me. Um, I hope that uh, listeners that you've gotten a, to 
to know Robert a little bit more and and maybe you're excited to um, to uh, look through uh, Robert's piece of this little light of mine or explore more of his music. Um, uh, but Robert, thank you so much again for taking the time and talking to me and uh, and talking to us about your piece. Yeah, sure. Thank you again for having me. This has been amazing. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Coral Catalog, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Robert T. Gibson. Please make an effort to explore more of This Little Light of Mine and Robert's other compositions to see if any can fit into your programs or curriculums. While you're here, take a second to hit that subscribe button and follow the Coral Catalog so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Let me know what you thought of the show, too, by writing a review. And most importantly, share this resource with other choral directors and choral lovers. We work better when we work together. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Choral Catalog.